Dear listeners, welcome at this second episode of the Meet the Expert podcast series. In this series, Meet the Expert, together with well-known experts from around the globe, we will explore challenges and opportunities in the big veterinary world. In this episode, we are going to talk about veterinary practice. After all, being a veterinarian does not always mean that you work alone. On the contrary, being successful depends on many others doing the job well as well. The Meet the Expert series is a co-production of Böhringer Ingelheim Animal Health and Pig Progress. My name is Vincent Beek and I'm editor for Pig Progress and I'm host of today's episode. And today's guest I'm happy to introduce is Professor Jim Lowe. He is Associate Professor and Director of the iLearning Center at the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in Illinois, USA. You're going to listen to a podcast that was recorded live on stage during a Beringer Ingelheim event held in Budapest, Hungary in May 2022, ahead of the annual symposium for porcine health management. The theme of this chat for him will be the art and science of getting work done through others. And that, I find it's a very intriguing title because I've always wanted to know this. Um, what led you to think about this particular topic, how to convince others to do the right thing? Well, thanks for the opportunity, Vincent, to <laughs> chat. This is, uh, I think, if you think about how I got here, I'm by every mark an overeducated pig farmer. So I think that's really how I ended up where I'm at today is thinking about being a pig farmer more than being a kind of a classic veterinarian. So I've been doing this unfortunately 28 years now it doesn't seem like it's been that long but we've been having at this for quite a while right and so as i i fail a lot and i was really fortunate early in my career to have some fantastic mentors but one of them was ken mashoff who's the third or fourth largest producer in the country today and i'd been working for ken for a very short period of time and he walked in and he said jim i'm not very happy with you I thought, well, okay, you're three weeks in, promising client. This is going good. <laughs> um, and he said, here's what I need you to do. And I said, what's that? And he said, break stuff faster. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a really key lesson, right? That there was this better managers make more decisions, not better decisions. And so you kind of get over that. And so I've really kind of taken that through my whole life but part of that progression of the mash house when i started wearing the mash off they had 4500 sows all in one site you know when when i got done running production then we had 100,000 sows we doubled the company three times in 18 months mm -hmm. you learn a lot about how do you get stuff done pretty quickly mm -hmm. um and i think that's you know right is the hair has gotten thinner and my pants don't fit as well and i have to buy new pants and maybe that's not in the budget but i got to work on that but uh, Right, I've started to get a little smarter and say, hey, how do we do this better and not just muck it up all the time? And I think one of the things that nobody's ever told us is, is that right, as a veterinarian, and I tell my veterinary students today, listen, if I'm touching a pig, I'm not doing my job. Mm -hmm. um, I've gotta be getting others to touch the pig to get things done if we're gonna do things at scale. And so it's interesting, right, I come out of the US, I do a fair amount of work in Europe today, but. You know, the expectation in the United States is if you're a veterinarian, you're going to service 50,000 sales fair to finish. And we think it ought to be 90,000. 
So what that really says is, right, it's a very different job than touching all the time. It's mm -hmm. how do I lead? How do I move? How do I get things forward? And so I think that's where I started thinking about it, just because I was bad at it. So mm -hmm. let's make it happen. So uh, and um, <clears throat> can you share some experiences over your career that have helped you to get smarter? You wanted to go to dinner, right, at some point? Okay, just how many, how many experiences did you like? Because there's a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I think the first one was, I mean, if you really, we, we had just doubled MASH off, and so we'd gone from 50,000 sales to 100,000 sales overnight, all by merger and acquisitions. We purchased a company. And even in the US at that time, that was a lot of sales. I mean, that was a lot. And for a late 20-something veterinarian sitting in Southern Illinois, trying to run operations now in nine states. So you all realize the United States is a big country. We were spread out across approximately two thirds physically of the geography of the United States. And so I was um, irrational, uh, impatient, uh, pretty sure I was smarter than everyone else and didn't know these guys, but I had the title. So I thought my job was to make them do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the big lesson and maybe with a big turning point was I literally said to a management team, I got it. I'm going to do the thinking, you do the doing. Mm -hmm. Whew. Bad plan, folks. Don't ever do that. Right. That was an epic fail. I about lost that that whole thing. These are senior managers. I mean, these guys are experienced. They're all older than me. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's that bit of really at that point, I turned and said, I have to think about how do I get them to go where I want to go, mm -hmm. not beat them where I want them to go. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a big, big pivot. And what is the key to that? How do you, is it a matter of convincing? Is it a matter of showing? Is it a matter of language sometimes? All those things. Um, I, I think it, it's leading is about understanding and communicating. And so I think it really starts with, right, how do you get us understanding of the system? And so we think about a pig farm today, a pig farm is a really complicated thing. And it's complicated because I've got a whole bunch of processes that are all interlinked with each other. So what we do in the breeding barn determines what happens four months later in the farrowing house, determines what happens in the finisher barn after that, right? But our measurement systems don't measure those things together. And, our people don't operate those, right? It used to be, I mean, I grew up, we had, you know, I bred the sows, I farrowed the sows, I fed the pigs, right? Well, that doesn't happen today. Our people that work in breeding today have no idea what a finishing barn looks like. And so as you've segmented that, it's really, when we think about engineering, right? It's about connections. How does one thing influence another? And so I think if we're gonna be successful influencing a system, it's really saying, let me understand all the parts of the system, all the parts of the system. And so when I make a suggestion, I understand how it impacts all those parts. And the best example is be I've become a, I couldn't run a feed mill if I had to, but I've become a quasi expert on feed mills. Mm -hmm. Because it, and really the data flow within a feed mill, because it came important. If I said, we're gonna put Macadox in the diet, or we're gonna put CTC Denicard in the first phase starter diet, veterinary decision. That veterinary decision had massive impacts on how the feed mill operated and how the feed mill manager was mm -hmm. measured. Um, and so I had to understand how all those things get together. Mm -hmm. So I've, I have not uttered the words, uh, I'll do the thinking, you do the doing ever again. I did that once uh, when I meant it. 
that, that was a quick learning. It's like, you know, the dog hits the hot wire and realizes it shouldn't go over there anymore. But the one I have continued to utter, and I use it routinely, and I used it last week. So we farm. We still farm. We own some pigs. And, and, and the word that came out of my mouth is, I hate veterinarians. I was mad. I was hot. Because I had a veterinarian in suggesting we should do something. I don't do my own vet work. I had a veterinarian suggestion we do something. They didn't understand all the other knock-on effects of what we were doing. So the case was, they said, oh, we should, and somebody asked a question before about McRebel. We've got a, one of our farms got purrs. They said, we should do McRebel. We should stop moving pigs. Now that's going to increase pruning mortality. And it's probably increased pruning mortality by seven or 8%. So I'm going to lose seven or 8% of my widgets I have to feed to make, to make pork out of, right? It's pretty straight economics. Every one of those pigs we wean, I've got booked at a $60 margin. They're already sold. I can afford to lose some pigs in finishing. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't understand the connections, they were in there talking to my people, asking them to do things like, whoa, 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 back up the train, folks. But, but, but would, would, you, would you involve um, people to, to say, okay, I'm... I I'm asking for you to do this because of the bigger picture. Or would you just tell them, you do what I say? Well, I think the ticket is, right? So that was the case where the veterinarian was in the farm. Mm -hmm. And the veterinarian said, we should do this to a farm manager who reports to a supervisor who reports to me. And so the veterinarian never came to me and said, hey, I think this is what you ought to do. And I would have said, no, we're not doing that because I've got all this profit booked on these mm. pigs, right? And it's about making money. At the end of the day, it's just about making money. And so we should have had those pigs, right? Oh, I got these pigs booked. Now we don't want to do that. Now, my frustration was, is that why wasn't the veterinarian thinking about that before they went on the farm? So I think that's the bits, right? Like the formula is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. I need, as a veterinarian, I'm still as... as We've discussed, right? The, the veterinarian is the only person that goes on the farm or kind of knows what's going on. But when they leave the farm, they don't need to be talking to the guy on the farm about what to change. They've got to go all the way up the ladder, mm -hmm. find the ultimate decision maker, and then work their way all the way down the ladder. Mm -hmm. Because if you tell the technician or the caregiver on the farm to do this, and his boss or her boss doesn't agree, it ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so now as an owner, I've paid a bill and paid you to give me a recommendation that I have no intention of doing. And I wasted my people's time. I did all that. So I think that's, as I think about communication, right? It's I need to go up the chain, get senior management, and then work my way back down at every level to really be effective. Um, do you feel that, um, well, what kind of characteristics of a veterinarian do you think that could bring about change? Do you know which, well, what kind of vet does that need to be? I, I think anybody can be an effective leader. Mm -hmm. uh, you do not need to be a uh, loud mouth like me. I think those of us that are loud mouths, it comes easier to us because it doesn't bother us to get in those spots. But you certainly, I've seen a lot of really, really effective leaders that are not that. Mm -hmm. So when I think about how do you be effective, it's about where and what we're trying, where we're going, what we're trying to get done, not how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think our tendency is we really like to be prescriptive about go do this. And so 
It's that how do you frame that up? How do you continue to provide a where we're going and let them kind of figure it out along the way? Let them break it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, you can do it better. Well, most things. Like I can't breed sows better than the breeding guys because shockingly I get distracted after the third one and I'm terrible at it. But right. But as you're sitting there, right, like you're saying, okay, we need to get this accomplished. And then you have to frame that. We always talk a lot about the why. And I think as veterinarians, we tend to give a very technical explanation. Mm -hmm. Okay, we need to do this. You need to breed this way and yada, yada, yada. And so you have to understand how they're measured. Mm -hmm. How is the employee measured? And then what are they going to do? So I think the best example there was we were putting heat no service process, so estrus detection prior to gilt breeding. So we were skipping estruses on gilts. And the farm we're working with, this was prior to the I'll do the thinking, you do the you do the doing comment. This was even at a dumber stage of my life. So just just bear with the stupidity of my part. But the farm absolutely refused to heat check gilts. So we had a target, it's a big farm, 13,000 sows. The target was to heat check 200 gilts a week. They were to have 200 gilts in estrus every week. And so I would show up and we'd have 40. We'd have 70, 90. They never got 200. And they, well, I did, we didn't have them, Doc. We just got to breed them. So they never put that process in place. And they kept coming to me and saying, Jim, our premium mortality is 18%. Mm -hmm. And I kept saying, don't care. It's not what I'm worried about mm -hmm. because I knew long-term productivity was based on estrus detection, these gills, right? So where's the epic fail on my part? The epic fail was is, and this is where I'm dumb, I controlled their bonus structure, how they got paid. And I didn't change their bonus, how they were measured to match what I was asking them to do. So the farm manager had no incentive to go work on those gills because it didn't influence his bonus this quarter. Communication is important, man. Communication and system. Yeah, those are, yeah, the whole thing. How, how are they going to make the world work together? Two keywords, communication and system. Now, um, I asked you about the characteristics that define a vet that can bring about change, but uh, do you feel that this is something that veterinarians need to work on, or do you feel that vets are already true leaders? I think I'm not going to pick on veterinarians need to work on it. Everyone every day needs to work on it. It is not a natural condition to lead people from most people. I mean, I suppose there's some one half of 1% that that's right. But I think, right, if I look at Elon Musk, mm -hmm. love him or hate him, right? His brilliance is not as a technologist. His brilliance is really his leadership and the ability to delegate and assign and get people inspired. So I think all of us have to work on that every day. And it's, it's fighting the tendency to tell them how to do it and help, helping them do what to do. And then as I look at good leaders, right, what they're really good at is about removing obstacles. So as a boss, right, my job today is to not get any of the work done anymore, but to go find resources. Mm -hmm. And some of those resources are financial. Some of those resources are human capital. Often in a big system, and the university is just a big business, the barriers are procedural. The bottleneck is a procedure. There's some goofy rule. Um, and so you got to go sort that out and what's happening. And I think 
right? That's kind of resource finding and then facilitating problem solving. And problem solving is all about asking questions. Mm -hmm. So why isn't it working? What have you done? What have you tried? And really being quite Socratic about it and just continuing to ask questions, even when you know the answer, them getting to that answer themselves will actually create lasting change instead of you shoving it down their throat. Well, there is the, the, <clears throat> the communication, there's the system you're dealing with people. It's just like the presentation you gave before. It's, it's more about management than it's about pigs, in fact. Yeah, the four-legged stuff's pretty easy. Mm. Um, we, we have a running joke. So we do some cattle consulting as well. And so everybody says, how'd the pig guy end up in a feedlot? Mm -hmm. Well, there are people that work at feedlots. And so there's also four-legged things at feedlots. And it's the same business, right? I mean, if I've got a cow, I'm going to feed it corn. I'm going to get it converted to muscle. And if I got a chicken, I'm going to feed it corn. I'm going to make it convert to muscle. And I've got a pig, I'm going to feed it corn, whatever. U.S. based, sorry, I apologize. Mm -hmm. Wheat and feed it to muscle, turn it to muscle, right? It's a muscle manufacturing business we're in. And there are people attached to the muscle manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same process of how do we get people to do things and how do we move that forward? I don't, I don't know if there's simple solutions for any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. The disease is often two-legged, not four-legged. Mm -hmm. um, African swine fever, just the name two, one. Two-legged disease. Definitely. So everybody understands why we're two-legged, right? I mean, it's a human problem, not, a, not an animal problem. And so as we look at even ASF transmission, right, we've got people moving it around, we've got biosecurity breaches, or we've got policy challenges, right? The virus itself, okay, it's awful. But the virus itself isn't the problem. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that we move the virus. Let's, we, we talked about PERS a lot today. PERS is a disaster in the United States for this year. Mm -hmm. Just a raging disaster. Why is it a disaster? Because it's not managed well. Uh, because it's two-legged. But the other reality is, right, I've checked my phone seven times today because the market's open in the U.S. this morning, right? So what happens in Chicago, which is where our futures markets are at, has a whole lot more to do with profitability than what happens with anything we do with health. Mm -hmm. And so producers are distracted in saying, I'm really worried about grain price today and not worried about disease. And so why do we have horrible pers in the United States? Because we've jammed all the finishing pigs in Iowa where all the corn is and all the packing is and pigs die, but we make a lot more money. Now, would we make a lot more money if we didn't have PERS? Absolutely. But the short-term economic thinking, how am I measured is how I'm going to behave. Short-term thinking drives that decision-making. And I think that's the challenge we have to get over sometimes. Now, you've been talking about the, well, the, the, the community, uh, the communication and the, and the system. And, and also, as, as you mentioned, that the, the, it's, it's, it's people management. Um, in, well, in, in, the, in the reality of swine farming, we do see unpredicted events, uh, an outbreak here or an outbreak there. But that is a part of the job of a veterinarian to tackle. It's not just all something that can be avoided, I suppose. Yeah, I think the challenge with disease outbreaks mm -hmm. and specifically biosecurity. Well, one, we don't understand biosecurity very well. 
we don't really understand how viruses move around. Again, see COVID. Like, right, here we are, we spent I don't know how much money and we're still really, really don't have a deep understanding of the routes of transmission of that virus. So we got no hope on pig disease. But the other big problem is, is that it's a pretty random event. And so, you know, when we talk about biosecurity, right, it's about buying insurance. And so you don't ask what your car insurance does, right? You just know you have to have car insurance. So I think as we think about those things, right, leadership in that space takes a lot of communication to explain what you're getting and setting it up that, listen, we're just trying to reduce the risk. And that's where we got real buy-in to say, again, where are we headed? What's our, what's our objective? We said, we need to spend enough money on biosecurity to reduce the infection rate in a sow farm from once a year to once every three years. So basically, as soon as a big outbreak happens in the in the era, in the time frame prior to that, perhaps different decisions should have been made. That's right. Mm. But again, it's not always about going to zero. Mm -hmm. It's often saying, what's the expectation? What can you tolerate? So again, it's back to the system thing. What's a purse outbreak cost? What's it cost us to try to prevent it? What should our management strategy? And I think if you look at where veterinary leadership in the US is pivoted, we've gone from a, we have to get rid of this mentality to a, How do we manage this mentality? And I think that was a leadership shift at, at the veterinary level to say, listen, we have to think differently about this. The what we were doing became different. Mm -hmm. So do you think that every, every possible event needs an SOP, a standard operating procedure? Oh, now I'm gonna like fighting words. So the typical US production system has an SOP manual that's taller than this glass. What is that, 15 centimeters or something, right? Good bedtime reading, I suppose. Well, they're all in the corner collecting dust, probably with bugs in them. <laughs> I think the challenge when we think about using SOPs is that they're very prescriptive. They're very much about the what, or they're very much about the how. And they often ignore the what, and particularly the where. So are there things that need SOPs? Absolutely, there are things that need SOPs, right? We have very strict SOPs for, say, testing of guilt prior to entry into a farm. Okay, there's not much debate, but they're like 10 lines long. Mm -hmm. Other things, it's really hard to get that in an SOP. And so as we've worked with teams, right, we are now working a lot more of saying, what are we trying to get done? And what's our basket of techniques we could use to get there? Now, you have to learn some skills, right? There's some skill training we have to do. You have to know how to inject a pig. Mm -hmm. If you're going to process pigs, you have to know how to dock his tail properly, castrate him properly, give him a proper injection. So there's some physical skill things we do. But the eh, how we pick them up out of the crate, and here's your choices. You figure out what's right. And it's that ownership piece that becomes really, really important. You know, we monkey around these cattle, and I finally learned, I was really, this is a... Uh, eight years ago now, 10 years ago now, 2012, we're doing cattle handling with my friend, Dr. Tom Nossinger. And I've been taught to move cattle from the back, right? You got behind him and you pushed him where he wanted to go. And Tom goes out there and start moving cattle from the front. Stood in the front, found the lead one and asked them to go somewhere with body movement, pressure and release. And I thought, how did I spend the first 43 years of my life doing this backwards, absolutely backwards? And then you realize that that's the same for people, mm -hmm. that 
finding them and asking them to go somewhere, letting them choose to do it is a whole lot more effective than saying, you go do this. Absolutely, because they then know why certain things have to be done. Yeah, and if they want to take a securitist route to get there that's not the most efficient, that's fine. I mean, yeah. we don't all have to use Google Maps the same way. We can take the route that doesn't take the tolls. That's fine. Is, is this something that you feel that um, veterinarians need to be trained for, that they need to be understanding that they also have a role to play uh, well, as a, in terms of leadership, so to say? I compare it a little bit with, with doctors these days. I mean, if you go to an hospital and you speak to a doctor, I think 20 years ago, they were well, pretty much telling you, mm, this is what you have and buy, and they didn't worry about how the message actually landed with the patient. And nowadays, you see them being more emphatic. I could imagine that there is some parallel here. That uh, Yeah, I, I think the challenge for MDs and veterinarians and dentists and probably even lawyers is that when you're in professional school, there is so much science to take in, so much new that like your brain doesn't want to do that yet. Mm -hmm. And I think where the medical community has done a lot better job, they talk about it, we talk about it in vet school, they talk about it in med school, uh, communication, how do you do all this stuff? I think where they've really made some advances is really thinking about their interns and residency programs. So it's what do you do post, post school mm -hmm. and their real training, clinical training. And they've said, listen, this is important. We're going to make better doctors out of you. And I think as veterinarians, right, we tend to graduate and go off in the real world and don't always have that bit of shepherding from a structured shepherding, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's that's the bit. So you can do it like I did and just get your nose bloodied and learn it and just be ornery enough to say, listen, I'm not going to quit. Um, or we can build some programs. And, and there's some of that going on in, in, you know, certainly some U.S. groups are trying to do that, say, how do we help build leadership in these guys? And mm -hmm. You know, our industry in the U.S., right, the, we don't have any small practices anymore. Well, that's even numbers, right? So we've got either really big practices or big production companies. And the bad of that is, is that you don't have as much veterinary ownership. The good of that is, is that they really got, because they're more professional in their management, they're doing a lot of development. So I think there's this post-graduation period, it's probably from now until you die, you need to be working on it. But there's a transition that training would certainly be beneficial. Training would certainly be beneficial. Well, those are wise words, I think, to, 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 to kind of move towards an end. Um, I'm asking you the same question as I asked uh, Professor Bergmans as well. Um, what would be the key message you want the people to remember when, they're, um, when they, they leave this room or when they stop listening to this podcast? I have three. Can I have three? Four. Okay. Do we um, have three? Yeah. Okay. I always take one more than I was allowed. Um, one... You, you can't get better with leadership without failing. Mm -hmm. And you have to be part of that is just being stubborn enough to say, I'm going to get better at this. And so a significant degree of stubbornness is important. Mm -hmm. Not so stubborn that you ruin everyone, but stubborn enough that you don't give up. So I think that's one that stubborn, stubborn mm -hmm. is important in a good way. Secondly, it is about the where and the what, not the how. Mm -hmm. We should be using words about where are we going, what are we doing, not how we're going to do it. You help with the how, but you don't dictate the how. Give people some control. They like that. And then I think finally the last one is I can walk into a system and tell you if the team's working or not. Mm -hmm. If I listen to the lunchroom conversation, how many times I hear the word we versus me? Mm -hmm. 
And I think that always reflects the leader. And so when we start talking about we do these things, um, now you know that that team is, is in the right spot. And, you know, as an advisor to farms, right, or my own farms or whatever, right, my own team at the university, it takes a lot of, of gumption to say we and not me. And I think there's an old adage, right, that, that rocks roll downhill and poop rolls up. I won't use the other appropriate word for that. But as a leader, right, you get to take no credit and you take all the blame. And all the credit goes down. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the stubborn, but that's also how the we happens. That uh, they know you got your back. Stubbornness, what and where, and we. We. Excellent. Well, I would like to thank you for, your, for being thank present. You. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. And with that, we conclude this podcast for now. The next episode will zoom in on precision livestock farming, and our guest will then be Professor Dr. Daniel Bergmans of KU Leuven in Belgium. You were listening to Meet the Expert, a podcast on swine disease and management, brought to you every second Monday by Böhringer Ingelheim and Pick Progress. Don't forget to subscribe to this series. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with more podcasts.